Our scripture today is coming from the book uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 1 to 25. It's a long one, so bear with me. And uh, yeah, follow along, please. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I'm a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you're praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving since they do not know what you're saying? You're giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. In the law, it is written, with other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to these people But even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues, then, are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in where you Everyone is prophesying. They are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all, as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray for Robin. Heavenly Father, in your presence, we come this morning with thanksgiving, O Lord, and we thank you for the man that you've chosen to say your words and uh, teach us this morning, O Lord. May we open our hearts to those words, O God, and may we instill them in our lives, and may 
may they reflect in our actions too. In Jesus' name we pray and believe. Amen. Amen. It's a little ironic that Paul wrote 1 Corinthians to deal with divisions in the church. And yet some of the things that he addresses in this letter continue to cause major divisions in the church today. And today's passage might be one of them. It talks about speaking in tongues and prophecy. And it's almost certain that no matter what I say this morning, someone's going to disagree with me. (laughs) And that's okay. So, since we can never really escape our history, and our history shapes our understanding of things, I want to give you a little bit of my history before we jump into the passage this morning. So, I became a Christian as a teenager in Scotland. And the first church that I was a part of uh, was called the Alpha Group. It's true. Um, And uh, we met in the back of an old hall in a room that had purple shag carpeting halfway up the walls. (laughs) No furniture except cushions. And we all sat cross-legged on the floor. It was the 70s. What can I say? Uh, (laughs) Um, I soon moved next door, literally next door over the wall, um, to uh, the church next door, uh, which you would would have thought would have been more conservative. It was the Church of Scotland, and the Church of Scotland is Presbyterian, it's Reformed, um, and so traditionally, um, that, that stream of the church hasn't believed that the things that Paul talks about Corinthians 12 and 14, the um, prophecy, tongues, miracles, healings, all that kind of stuff. Um, they traditionally believed that that's not relevant to us because God doesn't do that anymore. However, this was 1974, and the charismatic movement was, charismatic renewal was sweeping through mainline churches of all kinds, including my own. And people were being miraculously healed, speaking in tongues, having visions. My old youth group leader, who at that time was an engineer in a power station, um, became a Church of Scotland minister, and to this day is one of the leading um, leading figures in the charismatic movement in Scotland. So from that starting point... Um, I ended up in the Netherlands and became part of of an organization, a movement that is known for being charismatic. Although, personally, I tend to um, characterize myself as quite charismatic. (laughs) I have some very loud charismatic friends, um, but I'm quietly charismatic. Uh, And... um, And for the 40 years or so that Marilyn and I have been in the ministry, it's been in a context where people expect God to do miracles, to speak to his people, 
to heal people. So, that's my history, and that's the way the Lord has led me. So, I'm declaring my biases here. I believe that all the things that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians, what some people call the manifestation gifts of the Spirit, I believe they're for today. Okay? That's where I'm coming from. Having said that, I also have to say that Paul's main point in this passage isn't actually to teach about tongues and prophecy. His main point is in verse 12. He says, Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. That's his point. That's been his point throughout most of this part of the letter. Being part of the church isn't about what you get out of it, but what you put into it. It's not about pleasing yourself. It's about serving others. And he's been hammering away at this for chapters now. Chapter after chapter, he's been hammering away at this idea that we're here to serve one another, not to puffy, puff ourselves up. Now he's using the way that the Corinthians use tongues and prophecy in their worship services as examples to make his point. However, since, I, since we have such a diverse congregation here, not just geographically, but I'm sure theologically as well. Um, I am going to spend some time talking about what he means when he talks about these words. Now, I know Vic talked about them a few weeks ago, but I'm guessing half of us weren't here. <laughs> not because Vic was speaking, just because we're such a, a fluid congregation. So, um, <laughs> did, you like the, did you like the save there? <laughs> <laughs> it's, on, yeah, it's on tape yeah. on, on, on the podcast sorry, showing my age there uh, tape? what's tape? <laughs> so Paul has talked about tongues on and off for the last couple of chapters, chapters and he's never actually explained what he's talking about because obviously the Corinthians know what he's talking about And even here, he's not explaining to them what tongues are. He's talking about their effects, and he's contrasting them with prophecy. But having said that, we can figure out something from what he does say. So there are three verses where he describes tongues. Verse 2, he, for anyone who speaks in a tongue, does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries with their spirit. In verse 4, he says, whoever speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. Then verse 14, it says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So we're going to take them one at a time, okay? Verse 2, For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries with their spirit. So, for starters, Paul is not talking about what happened in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, the spirit fell on people, and they started speaking in other languages, and people understood them. That was the whole point of what happened in Acts chapter 2. So, Paul explicitly says that when people speak in tongues, no one understands what they're saying, including the person who's speaking. Okay? But then he goes on to say, that's okay, because they're not talking to people around them, they're talking directly to God. He says they're uttering mysteries with their spirit. And that's why some people refer to speaking in tongues as a prayer language. 
because it's a form of direct communication between spirits, between God's spirit and our spirit. Even though they don't understand what they're saying, speaking in tongues does have a positive influence on people. Paul says in in verse 4, whoever speaks in in a tongue edifies themselves. So praying in tongues builds a person up, builds up the person praying. And this is a good thing, okay? This is a good thing. We don't know how it works, but we do. But those who, who practice this gift will tell you that it makes them spiritually stronger. Uh, Vic was talking a couple of weeks ago about it gives you the ability to pray for hours and hours and hours. When you, when you, when you, when you're, you no longer can actually make up, you know, not make up, you know, ver, you know, verbalize things yourself, the spirit takes over and you're able to pray for much longer. However, praying in tongues is not the be-all and end-all of spirituality. Paul says, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So the goal of Christian maturity is that we grow in all aspects of our personality, right? Spiritual, rational, moral. So the idea is at the same time as our spirit grows, we grow in a better understanding of what it is God calls us to be and to do, and that that actually works out in the way we live our lives. So speaking in tongues is a good thing. Paul says in verse 5, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. And then in verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Okay? So he's, being, he's very positive about this. It's a good thing. But it also has limited benefits because A, it only helps a person actually who's using the gift. And it only builds up one aspect of their personality, the spiritual side. And that's why Paul says, at least in public worship, he says in verse 5, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. And there are a couple of verses that that describe prophecy. Verse 3 says, But everyone who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. And the end of verse 4 says, whoever prophesies edifies the church. Now, tongues is a pretty narrow word. It describes a specific phenomenon in which people speak to God in a language that they haven't learned. That's a pretty narrow definition. Prophecy, however, in the Bible is a much wider word. Um, It covers a whole range of ways that people speak, not to God, but for God. And all through Scripture, there are men and women who deliver messages of one sort or another for God. And usually... They're spoken messages in everyday language. Sometimes they're just, you know, you know, spoken in prose. A lot of the prophets um, wrote poetry. Um, particularly the, the later prophets, a lot of their, their, their prophecies are in poetry. Sometimes they were really strange. So you have Ezekiel in chapter 4. He builds, this is his prophecy, Ezekiel's prophecy. is He builds a model of Jerusalem and then lies down beside it for a year, acting out a message of God's judgment. It's still a prophecy. 
restore a message from God to his people. So however the message is delivered, there's a recognition that it's not actually from the person speaking. They were just the messenger. The message was from God. Now, there's this popular image of the prophet as a kind of wild man or woman, right? Um, Someone who isn't really totally in control of themselves. And certainly in the movies, um, people like this are often, with this kind of gift, are often portrayed as going off into some kind of an altered state of consciousness, some kind of trance or something. There's a great movie called The Messenger. It's about Joan of Arc. So we really enjoyed it, except for the times when she got her visions. Because the director decided that when she had her visions, she, you know, her, her eyes kind of had to roll back in her head, and this kind of thing happens. It's like, I know lots of prophets, none of them do that. <laughs> now, there are, there are religions in the world that have that idea of the prophet as someone who loses control. Okay? Um, some religions even use drugs to help induce that state. Or actually, some others do um, some physical things that they do to kind of help induce that state. In the Bible, prophecy, I'm afraid, is much more mundane. Um, in Exodus 7, Moses has been complaining to the Lord that he can't speak. You know, this, this is Moses' Moses's famous, here am I, Lord, send my brother passage. Okay. <laughs> so um, God says, okay, I'll send your brother. He says, what he says is, the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of the country. So Moses is God's prophet, and Aaron is Moses' prophet. Kind of works down the line, right? So the basic idea of a prophet in the Bible is someone who passes on a message that's not their own. It's from God. And then throughout the whole of the Old Testament, there are prophets doing exactly what Paul describes in verse 3. Messages messages that strengthen, encourage, and comfort God's people. Now, they also bring messages that rebuke them and challenge them. But Paul's focus is on the way that gifts build up the church. So he doesn't really mention those aspects of prophecy. But once again, the clear understanding is that these messages don't come from the people delivering them. They're from God. So fast forward to the New Testament. Peter's sermon, Acts chapter 2. When all those people started speaking in tongues on the day of Pentecost, Peter explains it this way. He says, This was what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, excuse me, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. So one of the results of Jesus' death and resurrection is that all people, all of his people, 
not just a few prophets. All of his people, young and old, male and female, will be able to see visions, dream dreams, and prophesy by the Spirit of God. That's what Peter says is happening. So we put all that together. We see that in the New Testament, prophecy is Spirit-inspired speech that builds up the church through encouragement and comfort. That's actually a pretty broad category. And it means it's actually quite possible for someone to say or pray something and not be aware that the Holy Spirit is actually speaking through them. And on the other end of the spectrum, it means that someone can very self-consciously be aware that God is giving them a message to deliver to somebody else, to a person or to a community. And wonder of wonders, it can even happen in the pulpit. Most of the time I teach the Bible. That's what I do. I'm a Bible teacher. I also preach. The difference being that preaching... um, I didn't realize that Michael was going to be here when I I, um, prepared this. Uh, I didn't make the connection anyway, so he may disagree with me on this. Um, Preaching goes beyond teaching. And it challenges people to actually uh, you, you know, take what they've learned and change their lives. It's kind of like a verbal kick in the pants. Um, from time to time, usually without me knowing it, I'll prophesy. I know that because after the service or some other time, someone will come up to me And tell me that during the sermon, something like verse 25 happened to them. Verse 25 says, The secrets of his heart will be laid bare. He will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. And he'll ask me, How did you know that I was dealing with this or this or whatever? And I will say something like, Well, I didn't. But God did. And he used my words to speak to your heart. Once or twice I have actually had an explicit message, you know, had the prompting of the Lord to go and tell something to somebody. That's not a gift I often operate in, in that way. But that's, that's equally a word of prophecy to people. So Paul says in verse 5, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. Prophesy. Peter's message was that this, these gifts are for everyone. And if we believe that the Holy Spirit is at work in us, we should expect to see these gifts at work. In fact, Paul says that we need them to be at work in us for us to be balanced spiritually. Verse 15, what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I also sing with my mind. Some Church traditions are stronger in singing and praying and worshiping with their mind. I'm a, I can speak to that as a former Presbyterian. Um, it even shows in Presbyterian church buildings. There's a, there's a Presbyterian church in, in Hamilton uh, in Canada, which is just like so logical and square. And the, 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 um, the, the, the architecture speaks of logic. <laughs> Other, um, other traditions are strong on praying and worshiping in the Spirit. Obviously Pentecostals, but also 
other streams of the church. And if that's all you do, both extremes have their dangers. If you worship just with your mind, you're in danger of falling into a cold legalism. And if if I worship just with my spirit, I'm in danger of falling into wild emotionalism. And trust me, I've been in churches that are like that on both ends of those scales. The goal is I will pray with my spirit. I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit. I will also sing with my mind. And nowhere, nowhere does Paul ever suggest that one gift is a mark of being more spiritual or more mature than any others. In fact, one of the main reasons Paul is writing this is to correct that idea amongst the Corinthians. They think that being able to speak in tongues or prophesy, you know, these really kind of like flamboyant gifts makes them somehow more spiritual. And Paul says, nope, that's not the case. The guy who's washing the dishes is just as spiritual, possibly even more spiritual than the guy who's up front prophesying. Because God gives these gifts as he sees fit. They're his gifts to give. In the Old Testament at one point, God spoke through a donkey. In the New Testament, Paul, uh, John tells us that the high priest who was about to condemn Jesus to death prophesied accurately about the effect of his death. The high priest wasn't aware that he was speaking for God. And I'm pretty sure the donkey wasn't either. <laughs> you never know, though. <laughs> Actually, uh, there, in the 80s, there was a great, uh, well, I thought it was great, uh, Christian singer-songwriter called Don Francisco had a real gift for taking Bible stories and making them into ballads. Love, lovely songs. Um, so he has one about Balaam and his ass. And so the, so the last... The last um, verse of the song goes like this. The Lord's the one who makes the choice of the instrument he's using. We don't know the reasons and the plans behind his choosing. So when the Lord starts using you, don't you pay it any mind. He could have used the dog next door if he'd been so inclined. (laughs) I'm not sure how God... How, you know why God works this way. Sometimes I find myself getting, you know, a little bit maybe judgmental when I see someone ministering in some powerful gift of the Spirit, and I have real questions about their theology or their lifestyle. And then I realize some people would probably say the same thing about me because they're the Lord's gifts, and He chooses to give them to who He chooses to give them to in order to build up the church. They're not mine to use for my own benefit. And that, as I said at the beginning, is Paul's main point. God gives gifts to his church in order to build it up, make it strong, which would imply that we're weaker without them. We need to be seeking all the gifts that God has for us if we're going to be all that God has called us to be. Paul says to the Corinthians, since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. I'm not sure if we're eager for spiritual gifts here at St. Paul Union Church. I'd like us to be. But there is a place for us to seek spiritual gifts. God was eager for the Corinthians to speak in tongues. He says, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. 
but he was more eager that they would prophesy. Even although he's already made it clear in chapter 12 that not everybody will do either. That's okay. You know, there's, there's diversity within the church. God gives out the gifts as he sees fit. But that shouldn't stop us from asking him. Asking him to pour out his spirit upon us. Fill us and give us gifts that will build up the church. So if one of you comes to me or to Mark or to Dindy and says you've started speaking in tongues or you've seen a vision or you believe that the Lord has put something on your heart that he wants you to share with the congregation, we won't freak out, okay? We won't freak out. In fact, we'll rejoice because it will mean that God is giving gifts to his people just like he promised he would. Next week, we'll talk, uh, we'll talk about some of the guidelines Scripture gives about using those gifts in public worship. But for now, let's just pray together, shall we? And take a moment and ask the Lord what He would do in our own lives in this area. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Lord, we thank you that you give gifts to your church. Lord, we thank you for the gift of salvation. We thank you that we are your people. And we recognize, Lord, that sometimes we stop short of all that you have, given, you have to give us. So this morning, Lord, we want to lay our lives before you again. And ask you, Lord, that you would fill us with your spirit. Fill us with your spirit, Lord, individually and corporately. Lord, we want to see your spirit work through our lives. Not so we can say, look at me, look at me, look what I do. But so that you can work through our lives to touch the lives of others, to build up your church, to draw people to yourself, to see people healed, to see people released from bondage, Lord. That's what, these, that's what we long to see, Lord, people set free. So we ask, Lord, that you would, by your Spirit, equip us with all that we need to serve you. In your name we pray. Amen.